You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series on the life and work of Jesus. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. So in Matthew chapter 17, we're going to talk about the transfiguration. Last week, we talked about parables and stories and just how they speak of the glory of God and how they speak of the character of God. And they teach us so many different lessons, including your own personal story, the lessons that you learn from your life's journey, the lessons that you learn uh, that other people can learn from you being able to tell your story as well, are incredible stories that we get to tell um, uh, of God's glory, of his goodness, of his grace, of his mercy. The full character of God is probably in each of your stories, to be honest with you. There's so much grace and mercy when I look back at my life. There's so much love and compassion There's so many times where God had planted someone in my life that I completely ignored. And I look back and I'm like, that was one of those little stepping stones that God put in there. One of those little seeds that God put in there um, along the way. And so those are such incredible things that are testimony. But tonight we're gonna talk about the transfiguration of Jesus from Matthew chapter 17. So let's pray, let's dig into the word and see what God has for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it's living and breathing, Lord, that we thank you that we can learn from it no matter how many times we've seen or heard the story, Lord, that you have something there for us, Lord, something we may not have seen before or something that we did hear before but need to hear again, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray that you would bless us tonight as we dig through your word, that you would encourage us. Lord, that you would uh, just give us that motivation to continue forward, Lord. So we just ask for your spirit to teach us tonight, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Matthew 17, verse 1, ESV. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. I'm going to read you the story again, just a a shortened version of it, from the book of Mark. 
Um, and I find that if you parallel the Gospels, a lot of times you'll get all of those details in line. Um, so, and it says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Jesus said, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. I love this story. This is an incredible story where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. Now, you guys know that Peter had 12 disciples. He had 12, I mean, Jesus had 12 disciples. I'm sorry, I think I said Peter. Okay, Jesus had, you guys are like, what? Okay, is he doing this K-12 thing? Okay, where everybody has to have 12 disciples and that's how you grow the church. I don't know if you guys have heard that or not. That was a whole movement through Korea for a while that permeated Peru while we were there. That was a huge, they called it K-12. Um, every person had to have 12 disciples and your 12 disciples tithed up to you. And what you got out of that tithe, you would tithe up to the person that you were one of their 12 until you got to the, the, the main pastor and just all the, it was a pyramid. And, and, and he was making a fortune out of it. He was a multimillionaire uh, out of this, if not a billionaire, I have no idea. And I don't even know if it still uh, is around or not, but it was huge in Latin America, uh, huge in Korea, and it was the way to grow your church for a while. Um, so they would say Peter had to have 12 disciples and each of the disciples had to have 12 disciples. So that was a little, um, a little um, this, um, what do you call them? Tangent, yes. Um, I always say, in Spanish, it's like desvio. It's like you're, um, you go off on a sidetrack. So yeah, tangent. It was a little tangent, sorry. I don't know why that always comes in Spanish to my mind. So um, this story, Jesus had his top three. He had 12 disciples, but he had his top three. We'll see later in a couple of weeks when we're talking about the Garden of Gethsemane, he's gonna call these same three guys. And the interesting thing here is Peter and John... Okay, uh, we'll do some, you guys know, there's lots of books in the Bible that are uh, based around these guys and uh, two books written by Peter and five books written by John. Um, James will be the first martyr out of the 12 disciples. Okay, um, so these three guys are a really integral part of Jesus's ministry. And they're pulled aside and Jesus takes them to the mountaintop. And so they're gonna get a mountaintop experience that will teach them to worship Christ alone. That will teach them to worship Christ alone. So here they go to the mountaintop. They're in Caesarea Philippi, okay? Um, I don't think these guys had any idea what was about to happen, but wow, what they were about to see. So uh, John and Peter, the, the fact that they were there, when you look at their gospels, you see it, you see it. Okay, uh, John speaks frequently of the deity of Jesus. And if you ever want to read a gospel that talks about Jesus is God, John's gospel, it's called the love gospel. 
because God came down in flesh to save us. That's what all the gospels are about. But John's particular gospel just is so filled with who Jesus is and how much he loves you. The creator of the universe loves you that much. And so what happens is in John 1.14, John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, both of these guys will talk about, hey, I've seen it. I've seen the glory of Jesus. And a lot of people struggled with the deity of Jesus because they didn't get to see this picture that Peter, James, and John got to see. And even so much so that when these three disciples came off the side of the mountain, Jesus says, hey, don't talk about this until after I die. Don't talk about this until after I die, okay? And so um, we see that in John 1:14. Peter talks a lot about the deity of Jesus as well. And, and you have to understand, they experienced something incredible here. Maybe you didn't see what they experienced as so incredible when you read through the passage of scripture, but we're going to break it down and we're going to look at it. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, it says, for we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We didn't make this stuff up, guys. We saw his majesty. We saw his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. So there's no question that Peter is talking about the, the Mount of Transfiguration this incredible moment that he had. And part of the reason that John and Peter specifically would have seen this is because of the testimony that would come through their books of the Bible. The deity of Jesus. Jesus was no fool. He knew that men would question, is he really God? Is he really God? Do you know that for the first four centuries, they questioned and questioned and questioned and questioned and questioned to the point where people were like, okay, we need to get a council together and we need to clarify what the scripture says about the deity of Jesus. And we just may need to make the declaration because there was so much confusion amongst people. Jesus knew that that would be so, so he made sure that some of his disciples were able to actually see him in his majesty, in the fullness of his glory. And that's what we have here. So these three guys, they go up on a mountain and Jesus starts to transfigure or change before them. His clothes change to white. Mark said they were so intensely white that no one could bleach them. Interesting side note, do you know that bleaching as a concept was started in 5000 BC by the Egyptians? I had no idea. Wild, huh? How old that concept of scrubbing your clothes out, baking them in the sun to bleach them out. Not the chemical bleach that we know today, but the concept of bleaching. Making something a bright or brilliant white. And John says this white it's not like your white shirt. 
It's not like the one you sent to have laundered. It's not like that. It is so different. John, he's, he tends to be um, somewhat poetic in his writings. Now, we're talking about Mark here, okay? Um, so, Mark, as a, uh, as a gospel writer, was actually a traveler with Paul, okay? So, Mark would actually have heard some of these stories and not actually have been with Jesus in this moment. So, as John and Peter would be telling these stories to John Mark, maybe you've heard of him as we studied the book of Acts, you know, John Mark, okay? As they were telling me, he's like, man, it was white. And I mean white, but it was so white. It's not like with the, it's not like bleach in a white shirt. It's not like that at all. It was white. And Mark, to his best effort, tried to describe that. It was so white. It wasn't like anything that anyone could whiten here on earth. It was just white. It, it, it wowed your eyes. It was so white. Matthew says that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. So Mark says it's so white, it's unlike it's bleach. Matthew says that his clothes were so bright, so white, that it was almost like light was radiating off of them. And Matthew says his face was glowing like the sun. Peter, James, and John were terrified, terrified when they saw this. I mean, imagine you walk up on a mountain. Everything's good, right? You're just walking up there with Jesus, and you've seen some incredible things at this point in Jesus' ministry. You've seen Jesus literally look at somebody and say, hey, you want to be healed? Pick up that mat and walk. And the guy just picks up his mat, and he walks away. You've seen lepers be touched and no one's supposed to touch them. And they were healed. And instantly they were healed. And there's that one cool story. I don't know if you know this healing story where there was a guy who had the crippled hand and he hid it inside of his cloak when he was in the temple because he didn't want everyone to know about this crippled hand. And Jesus says, hey, pull that out and stretch it out to me. And the disciples would get to see this. And it says that life came back into his hand. His hand had been shriveled and it just came back to life. And these guys had seen this. They had been there for Jesus' baptism. Incredible. But this, guys, this is different. This is something extraordinary. They're about to witness the majesty of God for just a moment, for just a moment. So Peter, now I don't know about you guys, but Peter's so easy to relate to. Peter's so easy to relate to. Peter is so excitable. He's so excitable. I find a lot of myself in Peter. I get really excited and do dumb things. Anybody like that? You guys do that kind of stuff? I just get really excited and I'm like, yes, Lord, yes, I will. And I get ahead of myself and I do something really dumb. And he's like, oh, hold on. Whew. Boy, I love you, but there's a lot to clean up after you. That's the way Peter was. But here's the reality. In all of that messiness of Peter, Jesus continued to use him and continued to use him and continued to use him. 
Why? I think partially because of that zeal, because of that excitement, because of his willingness to step out of the boat when no one else would, because of his willingness to, to even jump ahead of the game sometimes. He wasn't the best listener. He didn't always do things right. And in this moment, Peter was on a mountaintop experience. And you can only imagine seeing the majesty of God laid out before you. And there's Moses and there's Elijah and you've heard about these guys and you've read about these guys and it's all there before you and Jesus is glowing and his clothes are white and his face is shining and the majesty of God revealed and these two, two patriarchs, these people from heaven are standing beside him and Peter says, Lord, let me build three tents, one for each of you, one for you and one for you and one for you. If you've ever had a mountaintop experience, you know what Peter's experiencing here. This is awesome and I don't ever want it to end. So we'll just make tents and we'll stay up here forever and you'll have a tent and you'll have a tent and you'll have a tent. Who cares about us? We're just here. But you guys, you can do that glowing thing. You can do that talking thing. It says Jesus was talking to these guys and, and then we can just be up here and it'll just be amazing forever. Because when we're on the mountaintop, we don't want to go down. But life's not just about mountaintops. Jesus still had work to do. Jesus still had work to do. So Peter was so excited. He was so excited. He didn't want this to end. He wanted to build tents. He wanted it to last forever. But as he's speaking, the Bible says a cloud descends. A cloud descends. And from the cloud, a voice speaks. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah, boom, are gone. They're gone. They're just gone. When Peter looks back up, when these guys look back up, they're gone. Moses and Elijah. Maybe you've wondered why they're there. Maybe you know. Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 17, the Bible says that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So that's why Moses and Elijah are there. In the fullness of the glory of God, the law and the prophets are fulfilled. They were all about Jesus. And this was confusing to the Jewish people because they loved the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets are a beautiful thing because they're a foreshadowing of the coming Christ. And if we don't look at them as a foreshadowing of the coming Christ, we can get confused. We can get what's called legalistic. We'll get legalistic. We'll start hiding our sicknesses because a sickness might be a, a, a revelation that we have sin in our lives. You know what the Bible actually tells us to do when we have sin in our lives? Confess it one unto another. Find somebody you trust. Find somebody you can be honest with and say, hey, I'm struggling. 
I need help. You know, recently I was having a conversation, which just came to mind, a conversation with a friend of mine, and we were talking about some various churches that we had attended, and some, I've been in some churches where pastors have um, fallen into sin and been removed from the pulpit. And it's a very sad moment uh, when that happens. And um, the biggest problem is that they never find someone to say, hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I'm struggling, right? So these guys that were all bound up in the law, the Pharisees, they never found anyone to say, hey, I'm really struggling with sin. I need somebody to pray for me. I need some help. They didn't. They wouldn't because they didn't want anybody to know. They wanted everyone to think that they were perfect, that they had accomplished the fullness of the law. And Jesus says, no, that's me. I'm the only one that's capable of doing that. The law is there to actually show you that you can't do that. 613 Jewish laws. There is no way that any human being can keep all of them. No way. And God knew that. There's no way. These guys were pretending. They were acting as if. So this is a revelation to Peter. This is a revelation to John, to James. These guys who would lead this early church to be able to minister to the Jewish people about the law and the prophets and all of them pointing to Jesus. Jesus had said it and now he's showing it. And so Peter, in the fullness of his excitement, wants to build a tent for each of them, right? Let's keep them all three. Let's keep it all here. But this is what happens. The Father's voice comes down from above. The law and the prophets go boom. Jesus says, don't take it away. It's not that we need to erase it and pretend like it doesn't exist. It's we need to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of it. It's not about us trying to keep the law. It's about understanding that in Christ, we are made holy. And it's in Christ alone, not in the law, not in the prophets. The law and the prophets will not save you. And so when the father comes down and the law and the prophets are gone, the symbol here for Peter, James, and John is that it's Christ alone. Both Matthew and Mark say, and Jesus was all alone. When they looked up, it was Jesus only. Jesus only. That's cool. When they looked up, it was Jesus only. Both of them say it. There's a lot of meaning there, guys. Are you saved? Because it's Jesus only. If you think you did something, if you think by some measure that you lived up to some standard for you to be good enough to get into the kingdom of God, then you don't fully understand what the cross was all about. Because we'll look at the Garden of Gethsemane in a few weeks and you'll see Jesus saying, Father, if there's any other way, there's not. The law won't get you there. The prophets don't get you there. But they point to the one who will. And that's what they were being taught right here. And here's the incredible thing. When you read their books, 
Oh man, they got it. Did it take them a while? Yeah, it did. Have you guys ever learned really hard lessons where somebody tried to teach you a long time ago and you just didn't get it and you didn't get it and you didn't get it and then like many years later, it's like, oh, that's what my mama was trying to tell me, right? Sometimes it comes with a lot of mistakes, a lot of stumbling blocks in the way. And as you see these guys, that's absolutely what's going to happen. Peter's going to make an incredible amount of mistakes here, right? There's going to be a lot of things that go wrong with the disciples as we get into the last days of Jesus, as we move into August. We'll start talking about his trials. We'll start talking about a lot of the, the end days of Jesus's ministry here on earth, which is just packed full of incredible things and incredibly stupid things that the disciples do. Really terrible things. You're like, gosh, I thought you hand-selected these guys, Jesus. Yes, I did. And I did it for you because I knew you would need someone to relate to. Because if these guys were that good, all of you guys would feel inadequate. That's how I would feel. I love that, that Peter was made a bunch of mistakes because I can say, oh, yeah, I made some mistakes, he still loves me. I did this wrong, he still loves me. I did that wrong, he still loves me. They learned that it's Christ alone. Christ alone. It is by grace that you have been saved, through Christ, right? Through faith in Christ Jesus. It's Christ, it's his work on the cross. Let's talk about the glowing Jesus. I mean, that's cool, right? He radiates, you reflect. That's the difference between us and Jesus. He radiates, you reflect right? When we look at this passage of scripture, we see the radiating glory of God coming from Jesus. The white clothes. If you guys know anything about the desert, anything at all about the desert, it's dirty. If you've ever walked around in the desert, it's filthy. I lived in the desert for a little while. I lived in the northernmost point of the driest desert in the world at the Atacama when I lived in Peru. And if you walk outside in sandals, if you had on white anything, you'd be brown before the day was over. Your shoes, your feet would be caked in a dusty sand. Sometimes there would be like a little tar ring around the base of your feet from walking in the sand all day. And it's, I say tar ring, but it kind of feels like that. I don't know if that's what it really is or not, but it's filthy. You're dirty. So here these guys are. They're walking around the desert. They've been walking for days. They're dirty. And all of a sudden, Jesus, his clothes just turned into this bleached white and his face is shining like the sun. Now, if you're like me, when you read his face was shining like the sun, your mind immediately goes to Moses. 
His face was shining like the sun. You guys remember when Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, right? And Moses was like, God, kind of scared to ask you this, but can I see your face? And God said, no. You can't. If you see my face, you'll die. He's like, but I will just give you a glimpse of my glory. This is in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, uh, verses 18 through 23, if you wanna read the story. He says, I'll, I'll just give you a glimpse of it. He said, you go over there in the cleft of the rock. And he's like, I'm gonna cover your eyes and, and I'm gonna let you see it just at the right moment when you can just see my back, just a glimpse of it. You're gonna see just a tiny bit of my glory. And so Moses hides in the rock and he gets to peek for a moment at the back of God. And that glimpse, that moment causes Moses' face to shine so brightly that as he comes down the hill, hill, okay, he has to put a veil on to cover it. A veil on to cover it. You want to know the crazy thing about Jesus? God incarnate, he's veiled. That human body is veiling the radiating glory of God that is him. That's everything that he is. He's veiled like Moses' face was veiled. It's awesome. I love the story in Exodus 33. Moses had to hide in the rock and Jesus says, I am the rock. Believer, hide in the rock and get to glimpse the majesty and glory of the creator God of the universe. But you first gotta hide in the rock, which is Jesus Christ. You gotta believe on him. You've gotta trust him. You gotta believe what he did. He died for your sins. He shed his blood on the cross. There is no other way that man may be saved but through Christ, Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Jesus is our rock. After we spend time with Christ, you radiate. Did you know that? The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you look like him, the more you shine, the more people say, something different about that guy, something different about that girl. Why are they smiling? Why are they singing worship songs? They don't even know their worship songs. They just hear you whistling, singing. Whatever's going on, there's something different about you, something different. They won't be able to see it completely. They can't see that radiating Christ in you necessarily, but they'll notice that something is different. And when they ask you, what is it about you? Because whatever happens to you, you just take it differently than other people. Has anyone ever said that to you? As a believer, that's a good thing for people to say to you. What is it about you? 
your life, it's like things are falling apart, it seems like. Yet you're still smiling. You're still moving forward. I'm not saying that we're always just so overflowing with this. I can't keep this thing on today. Um, with this, this radiating presence of God in our lives. But the reality is, is no matter what we're going through, we have the confidence and the hope that Christ is our Savior. Christ is our Savior. We need to know that. We need to have that by spending time with him. Just like Moses spent time with him. When Moses was up on the mountain writing the Ten Commandments, he was hanging out with God. And so when he came down, there was a reflection of God on him. So if you spend time with God, there should be a reflection of God on you. If we're spending time with the creator God of the universe that when unveiled, when he came as a man, shone so brightly that these guys were in awe of who he was, that should rub, a, that should rub off on us. That should rub off on us. Sermon on the Mount, we just did that recently. Chapter 5, Matthew Chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Jesus tells us to be salt and light. Salt and light. Salt and light. Salt seasons things. It preserves things. Right? Before there was refrigeration, there was salt. Anyone ever had country ham? You go to Cracker Barrel, order some country ham? Or maybe you grew up in an area like I did where a country hymn was a big thing. You just see them hanging on a hook and they're packed with salt, man. And when you get that thing, you're like, whoa, it's salty, but it's good, right? It's good. It's because salt preserves that meat. Before they could refrigerate it, they used to soak it in salt, pack it with salt so that the bugs couldn't get to it, so that it wouldn't rot. And yeah, you had salty meat, but it preserved it. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to do that as believers. You can't do that unless you've been spending time with the Father. You can't. And then it says, be the light, be the light. Now we all know the Bible says that Jesus is the light, right? He is the light. That's why I said, he radiates, you reflect. He radiates, you reflect. If people see the light in you, that's Jesus living in you. Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. And if Christ lives in me, guys, that light should be reflecting out of me. It should be radiating out of me. People should see it. People should be able to see it. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, 8 through 9, Couple more verses here and then we'll close it out. It says, for at one time we were all in darkness. If you're a believer here tonight, at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You're light. You are light. 
Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. 1 John 3, 2 tells us that, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Peter, James, and John that day got to see Jesus as he is. And guys, if you're a believer, you're promised that see him as he is. That's what John is saying here. He's like, guys, I saw it. I saw it. I saw the glory of God, the majesty revealed in Jesus Christ. And if you are a child of God, you will see him as he is. You will see him as he is. But in the meantime, be light. Spend time with him. Maybe it's veiled, like I said. It's not like you're walking around, people are like, whoa, dude, where you been? You're like shining. That's, that's awful, I can't even look at you. I mean, that'd be cool, right? Why are you wearing a veil? I've been with Jesus. You wanna see? Right? Wouldn't that be cool? Or would it be horrible? Because people would be like, where's your light? Oh, you haven't been with Jesus. You haven't been with Jesus. Ouch, right? What if it was like a, a light that shone on our face when we spent time in prayer and when we spent time in his word and we spent time conversing with him and, and the Bible says pray without ceasing. Do you walk around and say, Jesus, I just, and people think you're crazy? Because that's okay. It's all right. We should. I pray about little tiny things all the time. All the time. If somebody comes to mind, oh, Lord, I pray for Ivan. Lord, I just pray that you'd bless him today. When Ivan comes to my mind, or I see a picture of somebody, I see something that reminds me of somebody, I'm like, oh, I pray for them. I haven't seen them in a really long time. I wonder how they're doing. I better text them and find out. I pray for them. Those are the types of things that God called us to do. Those are the types of things he called us to spend time with him, that we may radiate his light. But guys, it's not gonna be like this. It's not gonna be like Moses' face shining. One day you're gonna see Jesus in the fullness of who he is. And your face will probably shine like Moses's. It's just gonna be so overwhelming and beautiful. And you're truly going to be awestruck. Awesome is a word we use a lot, right? It is. But we use it too loosely, to be honest with you. Because when we talk about the radiating glory and majesty of the creator God of the universe revealed here in this passage, that is awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. So we're called to reflect that light. If you're here tonight and you have not experienced what we're talking about, if you haven't been blown away by Jesus, 
if he haven't gotten a glimpse of his glory. Because while he revealed this glory to these guys, he's offered it to us and he did it with his arms stretched open wide. We're gonna celebrate communion in a few minutes. And as we celebrate communion, I want you to think about it. I want you to think about the sacrifice that Jesus made. He stood there and he glowed before them. He showed them his power, he showed them his majesty. And then a few minutes later, he went to the cross and he died for our sins. He did it for you, he did it for me. God, in this majesty, in this radiating beauty, veiled himself and took wrath so that you and I wouldn't have to. Man, if you don't know him, let today be the day of salvation. As we meditate on this song, ask him, ask him to be your savior, that you may know him and that you may be able to, to have this joy, this reflecting glory that he calls us to so that we can be like him, so that we can be like him. So let's prepare our hearts for communion. Let's reflect on the cross, his blood shed for us. Ask God how you may better represent him to those around you who are walking in darkness. Ask him while we're here. Say, Lord, I'm, I want to radiate that. I want people to see your light in the midst of their darkness. Help me to be a better light. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.